Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. All right, everyone. I am very excited to bring you our guest today. Her name is Rachel Nielsen, and she is the host of 3 and 30 podcast. One of my favorites. I've been on her show before, and I just love chatting with her. So welcome, Rachel. We're excited to have you. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So Rachel's story, I really love. She dives into how in motherhood it can feel heavy sometimes, sometimes feel dark. We can not feel a sense of purpose. And I think when you're in that space, as mothers, we feel alone in that space of desperation when you're not really loving motherhood. And it seems like everybody else is just riding the joy waves of motherhood. And you're kind of feeling lost in your own little world of desperation. I think, you know, we all, we have these highs of motherhood and then we have these lows where it's just like feeling heavy. And the first time that I was introduced to Rachel, I read, I think it was an email where um, you had shared this quote, the truth is I don't like motherhood and I desperately want to. And it, it just like was a little ping in my heart because we all, every single person who has kids has felt this. So can you, can you speak to the place you were at when you when you wrote that, what inspired you to write that, all of the things. Yeah. So that was what I would consider kind of my hardest phase of motherhood when I wrote that email. I fought long and hard for my baby. So <laughs> my son was adopted and my daughter was conceived with IVF. And so through these years of infertility, I really convinced myself that like I was going to love every single moment of this. Mm. I These were my miracles. This is what I wanted. And then come to find out motherhood is really hard, especially <laughs> especially when you have really strong-willed kids that I'm realizing now not all children have the same level of like difficult temperament, but both of my kids had really big personalities and a lot of spunk and spirit, which made them super fun, but um, also made those years hard. So when I wrote those words, I, I wrote them in my journal my Noah was like five or four, not in school yet. And Sally was two. Mm. And I was just inundated with all of the needs all day long, all of the fights, all of the crying hanging on me. Um, I had nothing outside of motherhood that I could really call my own. I had been a high school English teacher before my kids were born and I loved it. And I was very happy to, I wanted to stay home with them and give it up after these years of waiting for them. But then I found myself with these two very demanding, needy children and no outlets of my own. And I just felt really lost, so lost. And I knew I desperately loved them. There was no question about that. But I just didn't love motherhood, particularly stay-at-home, full-time, 24-7 motherhood, um, nearly as much as I thought I did, thought I would. And I think that the guilt around that realization made everything even darker for me because I felt like there was something wrong with me, that I didn't love this as much as I thought I would. 
Oh, and when you said the emphasis on 24 seven, those mm-hmm. ages, so my ages, my, my kids are seven and down to baby. Mm-hmm. And it is so much on you as one person, specifically yes. how we parent now. I think it used to be a lot more tribal and kids are running around and in and out of different people's houses, but we carry it all. Mm-hmm. And when they're that age, you know, I feel like I'm seeing the light of a, a new time right now, but my kids were all home this last year with COVID circumstance. So nobody ever left my side <laughs> for the it's last so much. few months. It's so much. There'd be <laughs> times I just sit on the floor and like stare at the wall, like, can this please end? And then you, and when you're in that space, you're like, no, you love it though. You love Mm -hmm. them though. And Mm -hmm. so I think this is such a true, true feeling that you share and it feels heavy and maybe slightly dark um, Mm -hmm. when we're in that place. So we get in that guilt, but I feel like you really handle, I've seen you share a couple of times when you're going through darker times. I know you've had a loss of close people in your fam- family or or your yeah. son's birth mom? Yeah. Well, my mom passed away when I was a teenager. Okay. And then my um, my son's birth mom died from mental illness a couple and of years were, ago. We were close to her. Yeah, very close to her. And so, yeah, there's been quite a bit of loss in my life. So in those, you know, dark moments, I, I feel like you handle them with, grace. And in one of them, you shared this scripture, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it's Psalms 35, I think. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to know that that light or that joy is going to come in the morning when, you know, there's, there's a range, but inside motherhood, we still have to handle our normal life. We still have to handle losses or feelings of inadequacy. So with that scripture, what does that, what does that mean to you? How do you honor and handle the darkness while still keeping your eye on that joy? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I love that scripture. That's a scripture I relied on during infertility when we went through all the, all the invasive testing at the same time and the procedures and all of it, we were doing lots of IUIs. And then at the same time, we were doing the adoption process and we had a lot of ups and downs with expectant moms that chose us to parent and then changed their minds. And it was so Mm -hmm. intense. And I just relied on that scripture that this was a very hard season, but joy would come back. Like, Mm -hmm. so weeping may endure the night, but joy comes in the morning. Obviously, that's a metaphorical night. It's going to be longer than a night sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like joy will never return. Mm -hmm. But it does. Like, I've I've experienced that over and over. I experienced that after my mom died. I experienced that during infertility and during these hard times. And how, how do you get through that metaphorical night? I think there's a level of just sort of like acceptance and you don't have to love that you're in that, mm-hmm. that, that night season, but you just kind of have to like accept it and just resolve that you're going to make it through, you know, mm-hmm. and do all that you can to support yourself for sure. And for me, that was like a, a renewed uh, commitment to scriptures 
and prayer and, you know, relying on God, I've never like invested more or felt closer to God than during those hard times. Cause I needed that, you know, as well as, you know, really being conscious about spending time with my best girlfriends and my sisters writing. I journaled a ton, but those things don't take away the, mm-hmm. the dark night, but they help you to get through it. And just the belief that somehow joy will return, which seems really unlikely sometimes when you're in it. Mm-hmm. But if you can just hold on to that belief and, and take it one day at a time, joy really does come back. And I think that obvious that it's important to also think about what is kind of typical hard and what is maybe a sign of like a medical problem that needs intervention with mental illness, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I did have that around that time that my kids were, you know, both home with me 24 seven, I had been diagnosed with a chronic condition that I had to take this medication for. And I realized that the medication was not I realized something was wrong when I started having really, really dark thoughts. Like I was sweeping the kitchen and I just remember thinking like, I just wish this would end. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't have an active plan to end my life, but Mm -hmm. I definitely had thoughts like, I hope I just get in a car accident or I hope that I just don't wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, okay, this is a different level of, of darkness and sadness than I've experienced in previous times. And I need to talk to someone and I talked to my doctor and he put me on a different medication and I did much better with the second one. So I think being very aware of kind of what is typical for you and what is something that you might need additional medical help and support with is important. And I've done tons of counseling (laughs) and I love it. Like for 10 years, I've, I've gone periods where I haven't. And then periods where I do, and it's super helpful for me to get that outside support as well. Yeah. Amen to, to counseling and therapy. And with everything you said, I, I heard a theme that is reoccurring for me when I'm in a, in a darker place. And that is, I don't have to do it all by myself. (laughs) I don't have to do all the parenting by myself. I don't have to do all the struggling with my mental in my mind by myself. Um, I think oftentimes we feel like we do at least certain personalities. I feel like if I can just control my way through the hard time and keep it all zipped up and keep everybody going, then, you know, in that control, I can find, uh, the resolution and the joy. Like I will force the joy. I will force the morning to come. Mm. (laughs) And when you were saying, you know, a renewed, um, relationship with God, journaling, you know, that's, that's kind of going outside for me, even though it's reflection, it's, you know, I'm going to put this out and then ponder and, and hope for something to come. It's, it's taking that control out of yourself. That's so mm-hmm. big for me. I, I just can try to over control my way to the end of our times. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's, that's awesome for people to hear. And it's just like, it takes a certain level of patience Mm -hmm. to just trust the timing that will like to not try to rush through the hard time, Mm -hmm. do everything you can to support yourself and improve your circumstances for sure. 
but some of the hardest things in life, you simply can't rush. Like you can't rush healing Mm -hmm. from grief over the loss of someone or going through a chronic health problem that's just going to take some time to figure out and resolve. And so you just have to have that, that patience and belief that this will get better eventually, but I just have to be in it right Mm -hmm. now and I can't rush through it. I, I often find little messages that for me, it's God, but you know, whatever you think that, um, I need to learn inside those dark times. And I don't like when people say that when I'm in a dark time. So take that away. If you're in it, like learn a lesson from this. You just want to slap me. But (laughs) when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was so rushing and so busy. And that hard circumstance forced me to just slow way down. Like it slammed the brakes on my life. And looking back, I needed that. So Mm -hmm. I I don't like that when I'm in it. I don't want to people to tell me I'm going to learn from it. (laughs) But later I do like to reflect. And when you said journaling, I think that's a really cool, you know, gift that we can reflect on those times. You know, what came up for me in those times that I wouldn't have known had I not gone through it. Oh yeah. And for sure, as hard as those seasons are, they are definitely the times in my life when I've grown the most Mm -hmm. and when I've gained empathy for other people that I would not trade. But when you're in it, you're not like, I'm so grateful I'm going through this because I'm going to have so much empathy after. You're just like, make it make it end, you know? <laughs> so if you had a friend or someone close to you in that moment, whether it's just with little kids or going through something hard, what would you what would you share with them? I know you've shared some tools, but do you have anything you would say to someone in that moment? Yeah, I think I would just say first and foremost, you're not alone and that it's okay to feel this way. And it's even normal, I would say, to feel this way and just sort of give them that reassurance. And then I would just encourage them. When I was in that really dark place, I had a mentor who I heard say, she was giving like a presentation and I heard her say, in motherhood, sometimes the hard moments outnumber the beautiful moments, but the beautiful moments outweigh the hard Mm, moments. I love that. And that just struck me then that, okay, first of all, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm feeling validated by this mentor who I really look up to because that's exactly what I'm feeling is that the hard moments are outnumbering the beautiful moments. So I felt validated, but then I also felt empowered to really start looking for those beautiful moments, those perfect moments with my kids, even if they were very few and far between. Mm -hmm. And so I started a journaling practice then um, that I call Flex of Gold, where I would just write down one golden moment each day with my kids and really try to emphasize and focus on that, even if the rest of the day had been super hard. And that practice made a big difference in helping me because the more that I was looking for those, I knew I was going to write one down at the end of the day, then the more you see, because that's what you're looking for. And so, and in the moment when something would happen, I would think that's it. That's what I'm going to write down tonight. So it gave me this added level of appreciation in it. And then also writing it down after I got to kind of relive it and, and focus on that. And so it became a really 
foundational gratitude practice for me during those years when my kids were little and very needy. And since you've created a beautiful journal that kind of got, can guide mothers through this, it's called Flex of Gold, right? The journal yeah, is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost 10 years later, I was like, other moms need this. And so yeah. I did create like a physical journal that um, that's called Flex of Gold. And honestly, that's what I would, if I had a friend in this moment uh-huh. now, I would write her a note about how much I love her and I would give her a Flex of Gold journal, mm-hmm. you know, just yes. and encourage her to start tracking those golden moments. It reminds me of two practices. So Richard and Linda Eyre, they're the authors mm-hmm. of The Entitlement Trap. I don't yeah. know if you know them, but it was actually their daughter, Saren, that I heard say that quote. Oh, about. oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they have a practice of serendipity where they, I mean, similar things where they look for serendipitous moments throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And they're like, once you start looking for it, same concept, they're everywhere. And it brings yeah. this like gratitude and joy and just like, it is a childlike spark two uh-huh. days when you can just get stuck in like the, Oh my gosh, if I have to wipe under the table one more time, I'm going to smack someone. And oh, yeah. it brings just that like lightness to your life. And then also another practice that I've recently heard that this is reminding me of is if you're having a particularly hard time with a certain child, I heard someone say to add to your meditation. And I wish if I can find the, the source, I'll link it, but to this meditation, but basically the gist of it is in the mornings, picture them in their like most beautiful state when they're like the kid, you know, and Mm -hmm. fully like get into your senses with, you know, how they act when they're in that state, what they look like, what they smell like. And it can give you that renewed eye for them that can carry you through those moments when they're, you know, just really hard. And you're like, I don't even want to see that kid today, honestly. And so I think just those remembering the beautiful, taking time to find it inside your days is is such a great advice for someone going through something like that. Even if it's small, they're there. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if this is where you heard it, but we have a mutual friend, you and I, Tessa Brown. Yeah. And she did an episode on my show about how she meditates on, she said that she pictures her child and she, in her meditation, and she pictures like her child holding her their heart out to her oh. and saying like, can you love me just as I am today? Yes. And she like accepts it and says, I love you just as you are today. Oh, and it kind of like cool. grounds her in to the mom she wants to be, you know, and, and so um, well, that's I a great Mrs. episode. People Brown, so we got to link yeah. that episode. And I think yeah. how that thinking back on it, I think that what I was thinking of was in, um, Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne. Okay. So I'll link both of those. Um, Perfect. And Tessa is so like just pure and amazing to listen to. I love her voice. So link them both. Yeah. So speaking of an interview with, with her. So for your work at, that you have said has really transformed how you mother having your podcast outside of your job as a mom has, you know, made you a better mom. And that's something I feel so true. Having something outside of parenting that can bring me a little bit of accomplishment and my own like personality, my own release has been huge. Um, So 
you have a podcast. It's called Three and Thirty. It's amazing. You interview mothers kind of on their specialty that they bring into motherhood and life. So have you found within that some, you know, magic? Have you found things that help you manage the madness of motherhood? Some concrete, like, okay, these things I've learned, or do you feel like it's the age old, like it's just always evolving and we always have to keep learning or both. Do you have anything to share with with our audience from what you've learned from interviewing other moms? Yeah, I mean, I think it is both for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I have gleaned little tools and tricks from other moms that have made a huge difference in my mothering. But also, like, of course, there's still hard <laughs> days and it is still evolving. But I think some of the some of the tools that I've learned from other moms, things, you know, we already referred to um, Tessa and like little meditations that I can do to kind of refine, refocus on my love for my children. Mm-hmm. One of the most impactful episodes for me, I did an episode towards the beginning of my show with a woman named Georgia Anderson, and she is a Gottman, John Gottman trained um, educator and emotion coach. Mm. And she talked about how to co- how to be an emotion coach for your children, how to walk them through their really big emotions and those in those hard moments, how to help them metabolize what they're feeling. And I think that episode totally changed the way that I interact with my, because I said, as I told you, my kids have really big personalities and really big emotions. Mm-hmm. And so knowing how to just let them feel their emotions and sort of coach them through them instead of trying to like squash those or like punish or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. has very much transformed the way that I parent. And so I'm very grateful for that, um, that particular episode. And then like you mentioned, just having my show in general, having an opportunity to talk to other women and connect with them because motherhood can be so lonely and having an outlet for myself has, that's probably been the biggest thing that has changed because I don't feel that way anymore. I, mm-hmm. I don't feel, you know, that darkness within motherhood as n- nearly as often, if at all, because I almost feel like that quote from Saren has been like reversed for me now mm-hmm. that I do feel like now the beautiful moments outnumber the hard moments in the season that I'm in. And I think that that swaps, that switches depending on your kids' ages, what they're going through, what you're going through. But right now I am in a really happy phase of mother, my motherhood and mm-hmm. I'm clinging to that and you know I don't take it for granted. And I think that having these perspectives from other women along, along my motherhood journey has made a really big difference within that. Yeah, sometimes all it takes is just to hear someone say, you know, my kid wakes up three times a night too and you're just like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Or just the little reminders of, you know, what motherhood looks like when someone is putting their whole heart into it can encourage you to recommit with your whole heart in a downtime. And I love that about you. As parents, we usually worry about 
what our kids are eating. Are they eating enough? Are they getting the protein that they need, the vitamins, the minerals? And that's why we're excited to bring you today's sponsor, Nourished. They make supplements for kids that can just help you rest assured that they're getting what they need for their little bodies. Our personal favorite is their Mighty Chocolate Milk comes in both dairy and plant-based options. It's organic. It has all the essential protein and probiotics that your kids need, as well as some organic spinach in there. They also have super juice in two different flavors, fruit punch and tropical orange. Both are delicious. My kids have tried and love both. They have complete multivitamins and whole fruits and veggies inside the powders. They're super easy to mix in just like a water bottle. And then they also have a kid's immune booster with winter coming up that is all natural and it's made out of whole foods that are turned into a powder like elderberry and vitamin C, D, and zinc. And it's kind of like a pixie stick, so it's really fun to eat and delicious. My kids always want more of them. So during this cold and flu season, it is a hit. So if you would like to try any of Nourish products, you can use code FINDTHEMAGIC15. That's F-I-N-D-T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-1-5. Find the magic 15 for 15% off your order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So for me, with our podcast, reading a lot of books to prepare for our episodes has, in a way, broken down my perception of what motherhood, in quote, should look like, because you realize it can look so many ways. Have you experienced that with, you know, interviewing people? Have Has it broken down like the pedestal that you were holding motherhood up on and and sort of like humbled your perception of it yes but I think more than anything like all of the books and the interviews I've learned so much Mm -hmm. but I'd say that the biggest thing that humbled my perspective of motherhood is my strong-willed children Because I like, honestly, I say that from like the first week of Noah's life, like he smashed all delusions I had control (laughs) because he was colicky. He didn't follow the sleep books. I read a million of them. And I just had to learn that, like, I just have to accept my kids for who they are and not Mm -hmm. all kids kind of follow the standard, you know, the, the typical thing. And I will never judge another parent because I'm so, I was so humbled. I thought I knew everything Mm -hmm. about motherhood. I was the last of my group of friends because I went through infertility. And so I watched them parent and I had all sorts of opinions. Mm -hmm. And my kid will never do that. Oh, exactly. (laughs) And then like I had this super hard, strong will from day one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I guess moms can't like just decide how how long their kids nap or can't just decide that their kids are never going to 
have a public tantrum or disrespect an, an adult outside their home. Like yeah. I don't have control over that. And so now when I see other moms with hard kids, I kind of like catch their eye and, <laughs> and give them a give smile. Them a- this just happened the other day at the, I was in a parking lot and a mom was like dealing with this major meltdown and I like caught her eye and like gave her a thumbs up. I'm like, <laughs> I just, I just get it, you yes. know? And in that way, I like you were saying earlier about being so grateful for the things you've learned from your hard things. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, when I was in it with my super hard baby, my really hard toddlers, I wouldn't have been like, I am so grateful that I am getting so much humility and perspective. But now I am so grateful that I had those kids that took me off my pedestal and taught me to just love them and love other people for who, for who they are. So that's been the biggest thing that has helped sort of take me off my high horse with parenting. And if kids do anything, they knock you right off the horse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they really do. So I'm going to put you on the spot. On your show, you do three uh, take-homes. So smash all your interviews combined and give me either, you know, your three takeaways that are yours or three that have repeated over time that you would share to someone in in the depths of mothering. Okay. I would say that's that's a big, that's a big, uh, Big ask. Okay, I'm going to take 200 episodes and I'm going to put them together right now. I would say my first takeaway would be to to protect your own boundaries and needs Mm -hmm. and um, to figure out what those things are that you need in order to thrive as a human being and and figure out a way to make them happen. Like if you need quiet time every day, you can expect that of your kids and you can Mm -hmm. figure out a way to get a daily quiet time or a morning routine where you're alone. I know you do a lot of emphasis on that, Mm -hmm. but you're truly never going to be the mom that you want to be if you aren't centered. And, um, I heard someone a few years ago that kind of helped me to reframe the word self-centered because she's like, you want to be centered in yourself. Mm-hmm. You you know, self-centered has such a negative connotation, yeah. but she's like, really, <laughs> if you're centered and grounded in yourself and who you are and your needs are met, that's the only way that you can take care of others and emanate out. And so I'd say takeaway number one is be self-centered in <laughs> that you are protecting and and holding space for yourself within your motherhood. Yeah, no doubt that. I mean, if listeners to our show know that boundaries are one of our pillars. And when you were saying self-centered, there's an image I've seen of, you know, they use it in like yoga and everything where you have this line running through the middle of the body. And I, we all know that feeling where that line is skewed and you're almost like tipped over And when Mm -hmm. we're not setting boundaries, I can sit down when I'm feeling really mad and clearly see the boundaries I should have set to avoid getting to that place. Whether it's with my kid, with my spouse, with my friends, with my extended family. I mean, if I'm not holding myself, like you're saying, if I'm not centering myself, I love that vision of being self-centered. 
I mean, I'm falling over and I'm mad at everybody else. Like they pushed me, but I'm the one. It was me. Yeah. So totally. love that. Amazing. Okay. Next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then my second takeaway is hold space for your kids' emotions. And I kind of alluded to that earlier, that that was, has been transformative for me to become their emotion coach, to just allow them to feel. And that's like a theme that I see over and over from like all these different experts. And they don't, you know, they're not listening to all my episodes to be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to reemphasize, you know, like it's just a universal thing that some of the most studied experts talk about is just Mm -hmm. the importance of allowing and processing emotions instead of shutting them down. And for me, what that looks like is, you know, I I have an example of just yesterday, my daughter is on a gymnastics team and she's just barely turned seven. She's on like a competitive gymnastics team that has a lot of older girls Mm -hmm. and they were doing a sleepover at the gym. And we've just decided that our kids aren't going to do sleepovers Mm -hmm. at least I don't know. I, who knows? Maybe I'll reconsider that when they're older, but at seven, I just don't think she needs to be sleeping over with all of the older girls, you know, away from home. And, Mm -hmm. and she was devastated and I get that. And so Mm -hmm. like, I'm, of course she was so disappointed, Mm -hmm. but I went to pick her up at like 10 because she'd been hanging out and watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that to me, I'm like letting a seven-year-old Ooh, stay till yeah, 10. I know. Cool. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm a cool mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> but she was the only kid that had to leave. And I picked her up and she just, on the way home, she just screamed and cried. And I hate you. You don't care about me. And that, I just was like, let her feel it. Mm-hmm. Like as I'm driving, I'm like, I'm strong enough to let her feel this. I don't need to be like, you are so ungrateful. You had such a, you had such a fun day. I let you stay out till 10, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things that like, we kind of think we should, we need to say or teach them in that moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, she's so disappointed and I get that. And she doesn't mean this and I can just let her verbally process it. Mm -hmm. I am strong enough. I am her safe place. And I, I asked her, do you want me to snuggle you after we got home and she said no get out of here and I was like okay I'm like well when I'm I'm here if you need me and if you Mm -hmm. don't that's okay too I'm just right next door in my room and it's hard as a mom to like just let them feel what they feel but when she woke up this morning she'd processed it all out she was fine Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. we took her back over so she could eat breakfast and and they have a little team thing today and did I make the right decision making her come home? I don't know, but I did the best I could Mm -hmm. and I held it and I held space for her to have Mm -hmm. the emotions she, that she has about it. Mm -hmm. She's not going to be, I think we catastrophize. We're like, Oh, this means that when she's a 37 year old woman, she's going to be screaming (laughs) at her husband and saying, you know, like that's not, she's going to learn ways to handle those emotions and we can just hold space and let our kids feel what they feel and be the safe place for them. You know, I always picture when I'm thinking of this like concept, I always picture like one of those uh, solitary confinement rooms that are all padded. And yeah. that's me. <laughs> that's me. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I can be that. And, you know, I think a lot of parents, when they hear this concept first of like, 
you know, holding space for your kids' emotions, you almost picture yourself like the punching bag. And that's not it. You are, like you're saying, you can hold it. You are bigger. You are safe for them. And, you know, the next day, if you need to have a talk about when they're in a better place about, you know, the words that are okay to use in your family or their behaviors, you can. It doesn't mean that you let your kids just walk around having tantrums and doing whatever they want. But it does mean that in that moment when they're, they aren't in control of their emotions, you can control that space and keep them safe. And, you know, I think that like just resolve and kind of that self-centered, you know, that I picture that just like statue almost that can just be safe for them. It will give your kids so much confidence in, okay, I, I don't need to freak out because I'm safe. Yes. And the more we're smashing them down, the more they come up. They come up, they're asking us to be safe about it or be okay with it. And if we're not, I see that in my kids. If someone's, if one of them's having like tantruming all the time, I'm like, wait, am I squashing this down? And if I take a look back, I usually am like, stop crying about your cereal. It's fine. Just eat mm. the cereal. I'm doing that too much. And, you know, a couple big tantrums let it out and I see it resolve a lot faster. Yeah, totally. And I think that as we continue to be a, a sturdy presence in their life mm-hmm. that they see, like, we can take it and we mm-hmm. can we can hold everything they're feeling and we will keep them safe, the more they trust us and the more that they, like in the case of, of this particular instance, I'm hoping that in a few years, she'll be able to have the ability to say, you know what, I trust mom. Mm-hmm. And mom doesn't think this is a good idea. And as mm-hmm. much as I hate that or that stinks, like I don't, I can trust my mom because I know she always has my best interest at heart. Right. And that that relationship will grow as I, you know, as I hold space for her, as well as, like you said, it's obviously you can absolutely have follow up conversations and, mm-hmm. and teach those things. But in the moment that there's no ability, they don't have the ability when they're in the midst of a meltdown to like process and learn and grow. And so you just have to be right in that moment. (laughs) Yes. And adults are not adults. Totally. Oh, and you just made me think she's seven now and this is like a little bitty deal, but when she, you know, messes up in some way that she feels in bigger ways, drugs, sex, all of those things, Mm -hmm. she can come to you and know that you're not going to freak out. Because you've been in that safe place with the little stuff building up. Yeah, totally. And I feel like this is a work in progress for me to figure out how to do this. I feel like it's very natural for me. My personality is more the nurturing, the, if I lean one way, it would be towards permissive, which I don't want. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to learn how, I'm learning how to also add in the like sturdy boundaries and the, you know, the follow-up teaching and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Because finding that balance is not easy. So yeah, Yeah, I lean the other, I lean more strict. Uh And so it's really hard for me not to just be like, honestly, get it. Like, uh uh-uh, you're (laughs) not like, nope, not okay. (laughs) Not working. And, but I do think it is that like, you know, my, one of my co-hosts, Terlyn, she's definitely more on the permissive. And every time we talk, 
about a subject, it's blatantly clear that it's somewhere right in the middle that really works. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so it's perfect. Hard to find. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to find that like, you know, middle ground as a parent, because we have these strong convictions and this way that we want our kids to be. And this, and I think exactly what I just said is the problem. We can't make them be any one way. So, yeah, you know, holding space for who they are and then teaching, right? Discipline yeah. means to teach. So, and then teach, and hopefully they absorb some of that stuff, but trying to meet them in the middle, I think is the golden route. <laughs> yes. And it gets easier. The more, like, I feel like I'm, I'm finding the middle ground. I'm, I'm learning, but it just takes time mm-hmm. to figure that out. Totally. All right. What is your third takeaway? I'm loving this. Then my third takeaway, I think would be what we already kind of talked about, but uh, to look for the flex of gold. Mm-hmm. That's been a transformative practice for me that I would, I would recommend to any mom and that I really do see across a lot of my interviews, a lot of positive psychology has this similar, there's, they may not be calling it flex of gold, but right. a similar idea of what you focus on, you will find mm-hmm. and what you, you know, what you're looking for, you will see. And so mm-hmm. to really lean into those moments and even the hardest seasons and find them and savor them and write them down can make a huge difference. I love that. We're going to link your journal and also an episode where you kind of share more on this topic from your podcast, because it is beautiful. Um, Rachel, you are so great. Is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners? Yeah. I just recently came out with a free mini course that is how to find your joy in motherhood again. Oh, amazing. And it's three and 30 podcast.com slash learn. So if listeners are wanting some actionable steps to really kind of recapture their joy, I would recommend that course as well. So it's three and 30 podcast.com slash learn. It's an email course. It's free. And I would love for you to join it. Awesome. I will link that as well. And thank you so much. Can I just say as a fellow podcaster, I love what you're doing. Each interview, I can tell you're very thought out and you, you take this seriously and you love it. And I can tell And I just love listening, listening to your podcast and thanks for coming on. You're fantastic. Well, thank you for having me right back at you. I love everything you do. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. All right, let's find the magic. Brown cows. (laughs) 